Good morning. You know, my favorite sounds on these Lord's Days, I don't know what order they, I would put them in, but you're singing to the Lord, our singing to the Lord. The chatter between services and before services, God's people loving each other, and, and the sound that I hope to hear now of you opening your Bibles it's very difficult for me to hear you queuing up your tablet. So if you, if you, if you have a Bible, uh, emphatically open it now to the 23rd Psalm. What a wonderful security blanket this has been for us as it always has been for the people of God. A few weeks ago, a woman in... Missoula, Montana, lay isolated in a hospital there, and it had only taken four days for this otherwise healthy woman to be walked straight into the valley of the shadow of death from COVID. She was weakened to the point where she couldn't hardly lift her cell phone, which is the only way she could, you know, hear from her family, communicate with her family. And she was fitted with a really snug, uh, full-face uh, oxygen mask, which not only forced air into her lungs, but also uh, uh, caused her eyes to burn and, and, and her lips to be uh, chapped and her, her throat severely parched. And, and in the middle of this um, misery, she says, I, I felt the strong presence of Jesus approach me. This was in silence, but the silence was filled with overwhelming love, hope, security, and well-being. And by God's grace, as you may have surmised, this woman was miraculously healed, but it, it's, it's the words that she recalled while she was experiencing what she thought would be her death is what I want us to, to think about. Another saint uh, recalls hearing from a doctor uh, the most horrific words a parent can hear, your, your son didn't make it. Just six years old, her little boy's life was cut short by sepsis following uh, a surgery. And she still remembers that day clearly, and she still relives it daily. She says, I was plunged into a pit darker than I could ever imagine. The magnitude of that despair cannot be measured. I faced it, but it did not overcome me. God responded and God fought for me. A nightmare that I could not imagine was met by a peace I could not comprehend. And how do you explain such things? How do you explain the inner wellness of a person who is dying of COVID, as was the mother of Dell and Patty Mitchell's daughter-in-law in Missoula? How do you explain the, the real strength, the, the, the palpable peace amid the dark sorrow of a little boy being snatched away by death, as was Kelly Heckendorf's friend in California? These aren't made-up things. 
How do you explain that? Well, David explains it this way in Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. But what do you have today if you have a personal relationship with the Lord who is your shepherd? If the Lord is your shepherd as, as he is David's shepherd, what do you have today and every day that you can have no other way? Well, you have God's all-sufficient provision, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is, this is the, the cadence of the Christian life. Have you heard this? You have God's personal presence you, to guide and supply and, and protect. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Is the Lord Jesus your shepherd? If he is, then you also know by experience, not just up here in your head, you know by experience what David sings of next when he, he sings in verse 5. What, what is he singing about? Listen, God's saving grace is always a sustaining grace for his people. What do I mean by that? God does not save us through the work of Christ and then say, well, good luck with the pilgrimage. I'll see you on the other side. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Note that. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. And, it, and it's at this point in our look at Psalm 23 that we might get a bit confused because so far this has all been to do with sheep, hasn't it? And, and now, and, and lots, a lot of you are thinking this anyway, we might as well just deal with it. Um, now we have sheep reclining at a table and, and, they're, and they're drinking from... Um, cups filled to the brim and overflowing. And it would be a perfectly normal thing to say, well, what, what on earth is this about? What, what has happened to these sheep? Well, 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 the two shepherds turned pastors that I've mentioned in recent weeks, um, Doug McMillan and Philip Keller, both believe that the table of verse 5 refers to a mesa, or, or a tableland uh, where the sheep have been led to feed. Um, the, the oil, perhaps, is, a, is an ointment that is used to, uh, to ward off pests, to, to heal wounds, and so on. And that, that's, a, that's a helpful line of thought, for sure. But, but I want us to consider um, another way to look at this. First of all, here is David singing from you know, a sheep's eye view of the shepherd. And all of a sudden, he sings of himself drinking wine from an overflowing cup. And I would submit to you that that's not normally associated with sheep. Sheep are not known to drink wine. 
Of, of all of the things that they drink, they don't drink wine. They drink water. And so there's a table, and there's anointing oil, and, and there's an overflowing cup. This is a banquet table that we're seeing in verse 5. And remember that King David and his people, Israel, associated shepherding with kingship. When people in the ancient Near East thought of kings, they thought of shepherds. Kings were to their subjects as shepherds were to their sheep. Yahweh, the good shepherd, is Yahweh the king, a a gracious and glorious host for his people. He invites his people to a banquet table that he has prepared for them. And so in verse 5, we see Christ, our good shepherd, the king, doing what only he can do. Oh, he is a generous host. Right in the presence of our enemies, his generosity, his abundant supply is experienced by his people. What what a strange image this is. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you imagine the general of an enemy army looking through some binoculars over there at the the other side? And, And he sees what? He sees people cleaned up and resting, refreshed and feasting. And, and, and the enemy might think, are they crazy? Do you realize you live in a world where, where people apart from Christ look at you and say, are they crazy? Don't, don't, don't they understand what's happening around them? Do they, do they not see or sense the enemy all around them. What is the secret to their supply of strength and peace? And verse 5 is not to do with heaven. Don't don't think about that. it's It's not to do with what happens when we get home. When we finally get healed in the fullest sense or in those occasions when a loved one does not die. It's not to do with that. It's all happening, sings David, while our pilgrimage is yet ongoing. This abundance is set up for us right under the enemy's nose. As he unleashes the sharpest arrows in his quiver, God's people yet may say, you prepare a table before me. A table well prepared by the shepherd king for his people. Do you know this table? Do you have a sense of what this is? If you took the suggestion to turn to Second uh, Samuel 17 this past week, you remember the account of David, Israel's king, Uh, betrayed by his own son, Absalom. Uh, Absalom, as you remember, um, conspired to steal the throne from his daddy. And and in in 2 Samuel 17, David is seen uh, fleeing for his life from his own son. And, and, And so David knew all about betrayal. 
You ever been betrayed? David knew all about slander. You ever been slandered? Remember Absalom hung out beside the city gate as people came in to have their problems addressed by the king and he would say, oh, I'm sorry, the king's not here. How unfortunate. Maybe I can help you. And the scripture says Absalom stole away the hearts of Israel from the king. David knew all about slander. He knew what it was to be displaced. He, he knew what it was to be shamed by the enemy. David knew all about weariness. Are any of you weary? He, he, he knew all about weakness. He, he, he knew uh, fear that comes from an enemy's relentless pursuit and harassment. All of that is present in David's life as Absalom and his thugs pursue him. And, and the horror of all of that is still happening when God moved three men to provide not just a couple of power bars and some Gatorade for David, but a feast, a feast in the wilderness. Let me just remind you what you read earlier this week, because I know you did. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of somebody from someplace, <laughs> Maker, the son of Amiel from Lo-Debar, and Barzillai, the, the, the Gileadite from Rogalim. And, and it's at that point where you, you stopped and said, why, why did he have us read this? I don't understand. <laughs> don't, don't miss this last part. What did they do? They brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. This is happening while the enemy is bearing down on David and his men. This isn't after the fact, a party after a victory. This is in the midst of the harassment, still running for their lives, let alone the throne. Do you suppose the Lord, your shepherd king, cares that his people are at times hungry and weary and thirsty in their wilderness? Of course he does. And he's both able and faithful to do something about it. That's the message of verse 5 of Psalm 23. God's sustaining graces are abundant to us. They're not meager. The, the, the Christian life is not a life that is lived out in the sense that we're just sort of barely hanging on and, and, and just, just trying to do the best we can waiting for heaven. If that is your life in Christ, friend, you're missing out. The Lord has provided for his people an abundant life. Amen. Only one person agrees with this. <laughs> Let's see what happens if we just wait, right? <laughs> I, I was reading, uh, you guys have heard of this fellow, Arthur Pink, right? Arthur Pink calls this God's law of compensation. 
He says, when heartless Pharaoh determined to kill the Hebrew children, God used one of Pharaoh's own daughters to care for Moses. It's the law of compensation. When Elijah fled to escape the fury of Ahab and and Jezebel, God used a poor widow to share her last meal with him. See, God sustains and refreshes while the enemy is present. We, We could add to Arthur Pink's list, couldn't we? This time of year, our thoughts go to Bethlehem and to, to Mary and Joseph and, and the Christ child. And remember that they were poverty-stricken when God sent those magi from the east with gifts of what? Gold. <laughs> that would fund their hasty pilgrimage to Egypt, you see. God delights to sustain and bless his people in the presence of their enemies. We don't want to forget that. Some of you know all about God's law of compensation in your personal experience. Your own families reject you because of your faith in Christ. And it's all very awkward, especially this time of year. And yet God has placed you in his eternal family his church, hasn't he? Where relationships run deeper and wider in ways that even blood relationships apart from Christ simply do not. Have you noticed this? Some of you have faced the prospect this fall of losing your job because your conscience wouldn't let you agree to do this or sign that as your bosses wanted you to. Do you care if this is practical? And what has happened? For, for many of you, you have said, uh, you know, nonetheless, there's, there's a certain rightness to know that I'm, I'm, I'm honoring my God-given conscience in this matter. Uh, and there's this hopeful strength in the midst of that kind of turmoil uh, that comes not from you, but from the Good Shepherd who, who, who prepares a table for his own in the presence of our enemies. And this abundant life that is described in Scripture is a life only God can provide for his people. Don't miss that. David speaks of an experience that is only true because the Lord is his shepherd. He's not boasting in himself. He's not pointing to some kind of wonderful happenstance, some coincidence. No, this is, this is the abundant supply of grace from God in real time when the enemy is present. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we, we sometimes ask ourselves, don't we, in our, in our journeys through the Old Testament, um, where do we detect a fragrance of the gospel? I mean, it's Psalm 23, 5, do you suppose, a gospel verse? Or is it simply to do with David and people like him who are fortunate enough to experience God's material help, God's emotional help uh, from time to time when all seems lost? Well, I, I trust you know the answer by now. Um, you've, you've, you've been reading in your Old Testament for years and years and years, and the Lord, the Lord has shown this to you. It's all to do with Christ, isn't it? 
Every verse in, in that sense is a gospel verse. And I focused on one word in this verse, and there are a lot more words than one, so I think you get the idea that I'm sparing you because we could be in this one verse for many, many weeks, as it turns out. The Hebrew word that is translated prepare in verse 5, you prepare a table for me. Well, now that's a gospel word. I mean, we, we just read together at the beginning of the service from Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This prepare business pops up all over the Bible. In Genesis 22, we read of Abraham preparing an altar to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac. And we see in that chapter, there is Abraham on Mount Moriah. The scripture says he built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son. It fascinated me that that phrase, placed the wood in order, is, the, is one word translated from the Hebrew that is rendered prepared in Psalm 23.5. This prepared business um, is something we're meant to be attentive to. Abraham's preparation of a sacrifice was a foreshadowing, wasn't it, of God's own preparation of a sacrifice. The Lord himself will provide a lamb, Abraham had said to his son. And that scene on Mount Moriah then, as you know, was the prequel to another scene a couple thousand years later, also on Mount Moriah, then known as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where another father, God himself would prepare a lamb, would provide a lamb, his own son, to atone for the sins of his people. Now that word prepare, that's a gospel word. The son of God, the ultimate son of promise, was not spared death, as was Isaac. This son, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, lived a perfect holy life that none of his people, none of God's people have ever lived. And then went willingly to a wooden cross on a hill outside that mount, outside Jerusalem, a cross prepared by the Father for him. Remember, Jesus is the good shepherd who, who gives his life for the sheep. When he came into the world, says the writer of Hebrews, Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Do you think that word prepare might be a gospel word? What preparations God makes for his people. Nothing we offer God atones for our Sin, our alienation from him because of sin. Nothing we do prepares that broken relationship. It takes a work of God. God the Son. 
bloodied and buried and risen for his people. How many of you are glad today that our good shepherd prepares for his people? I wonder, have you come to this well-prepared table? And you say, well, I've heard all this before. I'm pretty sure if I come next week, I'll hear it again. You will. This is not to do with whether you've heard it before. Have, have, have you come to this table prepared for God's people? Insufficient as we are? What do I mean by that? Well, I simply mean this. You come to the cross of Jesus and you feast on the forgiveness of God. Anybody else here glad to have been forgiven? Yeah. You, you come to this table and you, you, you feast on God's love and, and life. You, you drink in his joy all because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you. What a, what a table this is. And what a warm welcome you find at this table to, to, to have been born an enemy of God, now seated at his table. But here's the thing. David is not merely singing of saving grace. He, he sings of sustaining grace. I mentioned that earlier. How might we understand Psalm 23.5 then from a, from a new covenant perspective, from a gospel perspective? Well, think about this. The, the communion table itself is a, is, a, is a table in the wilderness for God's people, isn't it? Sure it is. We, we came to the Lord's table last week, I trust, parched and hungry for a fresh touch from God. The communion itself is, is that, that table in the wilderness where sustaining grace is imparted. There's no substitute for that. You know, the, the thing about David running from Absalom, you would think, well, what a horrible thing to have a kid turn traitor and, and try to steal the throne from, from you. Well, that would be horrible. But think of what else might have been going on in David's mind. Because the Lord had said to David, in light of his own sin of adultery and murder, oh, that was a while ago for sure. And God had said, you know what? Your whole family's going to be a mess. Loose paraphrase. And so while he's running for his life from his own son, he's also got in the back of his mind this sense that, you know, I kind of brought this on myself. How many of you are here this morning and the enemy attacks you with that line all the time? Just look at you. Look, look at the mess. And, and, you, and you feel the weight of guilt. You, you feel the weight of shame. And so what do you do? You, you, you come to that communion table and you, you look to the one who is guiltless, though, was punished as if he was guilty of all your sin. And you look to the one who bore your shame on a tree. You look to Jesus, and you find a banquet for your hunger. 
the Lord's Day itself, we, we come to a table of, of blessing and rest. Am, am I the only one here who is refreshed by our coming together on Sunday mornings? There's just there's something about the assembling of God's people. It's almost as if he designed it this way. And I pray that we've come on this Lord's Day for encouragement from his word, the, the, the nourishment for our souls that comes from worshiping him together and gathering as the people of God together like, like a flock, maybe. What a banquet our king prepares for us in the presence of our enemies. Our, our problems are still out there, aren't they? Anybody have problems? Boy, the people in the next service have problems, let me tell you. But some of you in this service do too. And this is an oasis by God's design. And there is a sense in which the communion table, are you still listening? There's a sense in which the communion table and the Lord's Day um, point to a banquet yet to come, don't they? They're appetizers in that sense. And we'll see that more next week, Lord willing, when we look at verse 6. But you sit at the table of our shepherd king and you enjoy friendship and fellowship and communion with God, knowing all the while, sings David, that you will forever. Jesus first disciples reclined with him at a table, didn't they? And he told them of his imminent departure, his going to the cross for sinners. And they grieved that. And Jesus says what? I go to prepare a place for you. There it is again. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I wonder if prepare is a gospel word. How lavishly our shepherd king prepares this table for us. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's a hard one to read without getting choked up. You know, so often we think of those words as descriptive of heaven. Anybody else here usually think of that in terms of heaven? You realize that's not what it's talking about? I I didn't realize that either. I I studied it just a little bit. You squeeze it a bit and you find out that Uh, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 64 to describe the joy and wellness and blessedness of communion with God now, not in the future. Okay, this is is a, a present tense reality for God's people. God prepares overwhelming love, hope, security, and well-being even while... His people are dying of COVID in Missoula. God prepares for his people even when they're in that pit darker than they could ever imagine. A child dying at age six. 
So life's nightmares are met by a peace they cannot comprehend. And, and, and you've got to wonder, how? How does God do this? How is this banquet conveyed to the people of God? Or, or are we meant to just sort of know it in our heads, though the experience remains elusive? Well, well David says, no, 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 this, this is an experience because you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Now, it seems odd to us in our day, in, in our culture, but, it, but in David's day, as in Jesus' day, fragrant oil was offered to guests at a home to refresh them. And I don't know about you, but I have never been to any of your homes where someone has, like, greased me up with... <laughs> with, with and, I, and I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for this. But, but we don't live in a desert where, where your skin is, is, is challenged, let's put it that way, by the, the, the climate. And so this is, this is the oil of refreshment. This is the oil of, of welcome. The oil of Psalm 23.5 is, is, is an oil of, of, of rejoicing and, and refreshment that, that is given to a welcome guest. Do you realize that's God's disposition toward you in Christ? The, the disposition of welcome? Not, not barely accepted? Not okay, you're forgiven, but off to the corner, we'll see, we'll see, how, we'll see how this works out. No, that, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. In his commentary on, on book one of the Psalms, um, James Montgomery Boyce says this, when, it, when a guest arrived at the home of a friend, hospitality demanded the provision of oil and wine so the ravages of travel might be overcome. We know all too well the ravages of our travels, don't we? Don't we? Of course we do. We, we bring them right into the gathering of God's people with us, all battered and bruised from this pilgrimage, this wilderness we're wandering through. And we are so like the ancient Hebrews at times in that we forget God's past provisions. Anybody do that? Somebody was sharing with me just before the service something to this effect. You know, I, I, I keep forgetting to thank the Lord. I, I, I pray for this, and he responds to the prayer, and then I've, but I've already moved on to the next thing. Pray for that person, right? You can't relate to that. Of, of course you can. We, we are just like the people led by Moses. They, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Well, what did he do? Some of you might be asking that cynical question even now. Because as God is so uh, pleased to do, he keeps changing the scenery, doesn't he? So, so the, 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 the trouble we had last week doesn't seem to quite fit what we're experiencing this week. This valley doesn't seem like that last one. 
Is God going to show up for this one, do you suppose? And if he does, how will this sufficiency that is mine in Christ actually be conveyed to me? Or am I meant to experience this, or am I meant to simply know about it? Well, oil in Scripture, as you know, often speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit conveys to God's people the reality of his promises to us. So that God's promises are not just known to his people, but are experienced by his people. Do you see the difference? It's a work of the Spirit to refresh us, to to invigorate us, to, to fit us for action to energize us as we follow the Good Shepherd through, well, even through the valley of the shadow. And it's the Spirit's presence within us that ensures God's welcoming care for us in our pilgrimage. Assures us of God's welcoming presence with us. You know, theologians often speak of the perseverance of the saints, meaning this, those who are truly saved will persevere in faith. And and praise God for this. But why is that so? It is so only because of the preservation of God by the Spirit. In other words, if if you and I uh, had the choice of whether to persevere, we wouldn't persevere. I should say, if we had the control over it all. But we've been given a new spirit, haven't we? A new heart that stays close to the shepherd. And without the anointing of the spirit, you and I who are in Christ would, would not persevere. 1 John 2 tells us this, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. What did David say? You anoint my head with oil. Christ, by his indwelling spirit in his people, teaches and comforts and leads and guides and protects so that all we need throughout our pilgrimage is ours. And it's no wonder then that the scripture warns us, don't quench the spirit. Are are, are you quenching the spirit by living a life that is off these paths of righteousness that he leads us on? It's no wonder the Lord says to us in his word, walk in the spirit. What walk, live under the influence of the Spirit. How about that? Don't, don't live under the influence of that old man you were in Adam. Live under the influence of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. Both women I mentioned when we began. Earlier, uh, um, or, or later, after they were... were um, through the experience they they spoke of, they went on to explain the the, the importance of their remembering scripture they had learned over the years. 
Why is that? Well, think of the simplicity of this. When you're in a crisis, you're not always able to grab your Bible and say, well, I wonder, where, I wonder what God has for me in this. I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing to do, but how many of you know in much of life, that's not, that's not where you're at? Certainly not when you're dying of COVID. Certainly not when you're in a hospital room with your little boy. And, and they said, you know what? The promises of God were made alive by the Spirit <laughs> in the presence of their enemies, if you will whether it was death itself or or despair or fear or weakness, the Spirit takes the Word and applies it to the hearts of God's people. And God's promises then are an experienced reality, not just something bouncing around in the head. Don't grieve the Spirit, because to, to grieve the Holy Spirit is to, it's like getting up from the table. It's like leaving the banquet of God's sustaining graces. You anoint my head with oil, sings David, and then my cup runs over. We'll end with that because David did. My cup runs over. What what is that to do with? Notice that the cup is not merely filled to the brim. That would be great. I had a coffee cup this morning that was filled to the brim and I spilled about a fourth of it on the stairs on my way back up. Um, that's not what this is about. This is what they say uh, in some restaurants. Hey, you have a bottomless cup of whatever. Well, that's a good deal, isn't it? You can sit there all day and drink whatever. But they don't really want you to. <laughs> this is a bottomless cup. A bottomless cup. The whole image here then is one of abundance. There, there's no end to this supply of the king's sustaining graces. There's never a time when your king says to you, you know what, um, it was a bottomless cup, but you're the one person that tapped it out, man. There's just, there's no more. That, that never happens. When you need the grace of forgiveness, are you not glad for a bottomless cup? When you need a drink of the restoration that overcomes shame, aren't you glad for a bottomless cup? When you need a strength from outside of yourself, when you crave that peace that passes understanding, aren't you glad for a bottomless cup? This is what our king provides to his people. An endless supply of sustaining grace. And here's the thing. It is from this supply of sustaining grace Uh, that is the source of our ministry to others. Did you realize that? We're not meant to serve our king in our own strength, though we want to. We are not meant to serve our king with an attitude that says, you know, I think I got this. I think I got this journey through the wilderness down. 
Like I said a couple of weeks ago, buckle up if that's your attitude because the Lord loves you enough to train you out of that nonsense. The only thing you and I have to offer the world that's worth anything is the overflow from what God has provided us. That's it. But you know what? That's a lot. The abundance my king supplies is my source of living for my king. Let me just end with getting us back to Missoula in California briefly. What did that dear lady who survived COVID do with the sustaining grace that God gave her? Well, she wrote a letter. Here it is. And in this letter... She signed her last name, so I'm guessing this went to lots of people, not just, you know, close family. She says, I hope this brief account of my experience will inspire you in your daily journey. Suffering is a part of the human experience. Should you ever find yourself in a similar situation, I want to encourage you to reach out to God in prayer. Trust in His strength. Don't ever give up. Prayer is truly a powerful thing. And then she, she, she cites Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. In other words, the abundant supply that she received from the king um, supplied her pointing others to the king. What a blessing that is. And what of, of Kelly Heckendorf's friend in California? What, what is she doing these days with the sustaining grace that she received and keeps receiving? Well, she's speaking to other women at Bible conferences all over the place, teaching them what it is to live a life supplied by Christ's sufficiency. You see, this, this is, this is um, the, 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 uh, the blessing of receiving the abundance of our king, not merely to just enjoy it, but it becomes the source of our sharing of our king to others. Does that make sense? All right, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful song of trust in you. Lord, we know it. And many of us here today know it because we know you. But Lord, we want to know you more. And you've just reminded us that there is a bottomless cup of this sustaining grace, this experiential knowledge of you that you offer to us as your children. And so I pray, Lord, that we would drink often. Lord, that when we wander through our pilgrimage, uh, thirsty and, and hungry and tired and afraid, we might think of this banquet. And Lord, by your spirit, you would translate these wonderful blessings from our heads to our hearts, Lord. And ultimately, we ask this for your namesake, that you might be glorified in us and through your church. And so we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.